This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So at The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Russell, that's Zach, that's Ryan. Guys, we're digging in to Psalm 22, and here's the thing about Psalm 22. And this may be like a good time to just kind of tee you guys up that if, as long as you're not driving, cause you know, you can hurt yourself, but if you're listening to this right now and in the last week or so, you've read Psalm 22 a couple of times, go ahead and hit pause and then go and read Matthew 27 a few times because the connections between Psalm 22 and Matthew 27 are astonishing. And as I was reading, I was just writing in the margins. I was like, Oh, are all these references to Jesus? Cause I wasn't Sure they were, but I was like, I'm pretty sure they are. But then just by the time you're done reading the 22nd Psalm, because it's somewhat lengthy, you're like, oh, this is, it's all there. Like, it's all right there. But I really want to go right from the beginning. So this is a Psalm of David. And by the way, when it says that in the in the top where it's according to the doe of the dawn, when I was reading, they were talking about like maybe the key that it was being sung in or something like that. So I guess there's not like a, a big time significance to the word doe there. But even just the very, very first verse here, Guys, we could camp out on verse one for the entire time, but we, you know, we will have to move along, but it's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And so if you've been in, in the Christian world for any length of time, that should sound very, very familiar to you because those are the words that Jesus spoke on the cross. And something that we were talking about uh, off air just before we hit record is we're so dumb in modernity. We don't need to know how to do math because we have a calculator on our phone. We don't need to remember who won, you know, this particular war because we can just Google it real quick. But back in this day, you just didn't have copies of these, you know, uh, Old Testament books just sitting around typically, and you didn't have a bunch of them. So there was a lot of memorization at that time. And so the significance of uh, Jewish people hearing Jesus say these words on the cross, they had to thought like, that's David. That's what King David said. And so it's very, very interesting, but right from the beginning, just brutal desperation. Like the level of desperation in what David is saying there, it, it, it certainly echoes Jesus on the cross, but it's like, you know, it's just lament, lament, lament for the first 21 verses and then the last 10 verses or so are praise. But man, it was just like heavy from the very beginning. And Zach Todd, this is his favorite Psalm. Another guy, he's not here to defend himself or even talk about his favorite Psalm, but it's like another new Christian, just, just like you, Zach Foster to where it's like, I almost feel like this would scare me if I were a new Christian, because it's like, gosh, David was like God's dude. And look at how much he's lamenting. Like, it's just a crazy depressing place to start the Psalm, you know? Well, it's a good thought that, or it's um, encouraging that David has been put on the throne by God, like you're saying, he's his guy. But in David's worst moment, when everybody's coming at him, he has the steadfastness to uh, go to the Lord. And it's just a testament to always uh, going to prayer, going to God, no matter what's coming against you. Um, It's just, you know, it's the toughest time for him throughout his life, probably. It just, uh, it was a good reminder to always go to God. I look at those words and 
and I think of Jesus on the cross, and then I think of David, and David thinking that God for, has forsaken him. Um, you know, when you when you read about God, um, usually, how do you want to say it? Disciplining um, his people um, via breaking their covenant. Uh, they always say he hides their his face from them or turns away from them. Um, God probably had every reason to turn away from David. Um, and, and, and forsake David and David knows that. But when you look at Christ on the cross and he says that he says that after he takes on the full cup of wrath and God has to turn his head from him. And I think that's just like a sobering thought of like, man, how many times do we cry out, God, help me with this or God, what, you know, why is this happening? And when Christ sat on that cross after being beaten, uh, it was because God had to turn, turn away from him because of our sin. I just, I find those words like the most sobering words. Uh, in this chapter. I mean, again, just a, a really rough place to start whenever you're, you're reading through something like this because of the significance, but also the weight. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when you read about David and who he is and how Jesus comes from his line, like we have no corollary to this because like, do you ever quote something that your great, 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 great grandfather said and how it's, you know, corresponding to the most significant time in his life and the most significant time in your life? Like we don't really have a corollary like that. But, but again, it just, it just does foreshadow the suffering that had to take place so that we wouldn't have to suffer. Right. Like that's the story of the gospel ultimately. Yeah, I know. Um, Ryan, to your point, um, I think so many times, you know, we, we cry out to God, right? But we look at this, um, and it's just, it's so small in comparison to what Christ really did on the cross. And, and to your point, Kyle, it's very sobering. And I, I know that, you know, I sit there and I think about, you know, uh, when I think of Christ on the cross and, you know, him saying these words, I also think about him in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, you know sweating blood and just, you know, you know, telling God that, hey, if, if this cup can pass, let it, but if not, you know, your will be, you know, your will be done, right? Just having that kind of resolve. And he, he had perfect resolve. I mean, he was holy. He had perfect resolve in that. Um, and just looking at my own life, like where can I have the resolve? Um, you know, at least in some ounce, you know, getting to be you know, in that Christ likeness. Right. And so, um, that's kind of, uh, for me, it's those pictures always stick in my head and then it's looking at my own life. Um, and knowing that, you know, I think in, in America today, um, Christianity is easy. Um, and man, and I, and I hate that. I mean, you know, it's, it's weird. Um, it's weird to, to want to wish for things to be harder, um, in some respects, because I'm so thankful for what we do have. Um, and I think we take it for granted. Um, but we just, we just don't realize how easy we have it and how we, you know, nominalize and, and just make things just too easy. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, I actually think it was Zach was um, telling me you know, not that long ago, he went to a trip in Israel with um, some people from our church and he was just saying how rocky it was there. He was like, dude, I can't imagine wearing sandals there. Like, yeah. and just, I mean, yeah. and so I'm just like, man, how easy our life is just walking around the neighborhood. You, you wouldn't know? believe it. Yeah. It's just, so every hillside is just littered with boulders and rocks and yeah, it would have been incredibly difficult to so, just walk anywhere around so the Sea funny. of Galilee or anywhere up and down the Jordan River or around the Dead Sea. It just turns into desert down there, but up north by the Sea of Galilee it is. So do you think it changes 
the style or even the presence of our lament that we do live in such a, a cushy time because so to them, Zach, that wasn't Rocky. It was just walking. Nah, was you know what I mean? It was like they weren't walking on these, you know, perfectly paved roads and, you know, perfectly even floors all the time. Like their entire life was spent basically using their stabilizer muscles to not fall over. Like that's basically what they were doing. But it's almost like when you hear people that go to these really, really, really poor parts of the world and they see these people that are so unbelievably happy. Part of it is because they don't know what they're missing. Whereas like in a community like ours, we know exactly what we're missing because we can see it. There is the physical manifestation of somebody's level of income by the car that they drive, by the you know garage, that which is a house for their car that they park it in, the vacations they go on. And yes, there are people that have debt that are being flashy, but to a degree, you can only flex so much before the gig is up. And if you've been doing it for decades, you're probably, you're probably balling out of control and good on you. But again, we, the, those, those people don't understand what they're missing, <clears throat> but we also don't have to pray the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And so I guess to get back to my question before I went off on my own little soliloquy, like doesn't that change our lament? Because like when I'm reading through this, I don't recognize a lot of this in me because it's like we get, we complain when it's a little cold in our house because our, you know, our uh, heater is not working exactly properly. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. I think um, our lament is minor. I mean, it's, it's, we, we don't really have that. A burden that you know David was experiencing. I mean, you know, I mean, Saul chased after this guy. He was living in caves, and I mean, he was, you know, there was he had some real trouble. And then, obviously, you know, nothing compared to the crucifixion and leading up to the crucifixion, the the beatings, and you know, the kind of what this verse lays out, kind of line by line of what would happen to Jesus. And so, um, yeah, I, I do, I do think, you know, for us, it may make us we need to be a little bit more callous, a little more hardened, and just be like, man, you know, this is minor. I need to kind of um, pull myself up. I need to stop complaining. I need to, you know, toughen up, whatever you want to call it um, in some respects. But, but I also think it, you know, going back to it and also, you know, David cried out to God and I think that's what we need to do. Um, I think we need to be okay. Like we can't be so tough that, Oh God, I don't need to take this to God. I, I need to, you know, you know, even if it is small, but if it means something to us, I think we need to go to God and we need to really try and, you know, be transparent with him. Um, I think it's so funny when people are like, well, you know, God knows everything. Why do I need to pray or why do I need to do anything? Man, that's so much for you that it is, you know, for God. And so, you know, you need to do that so that you can get closer and have greater community, communion with God. And so um, I think it's really important for us to lament and to praise and to do all that's experienced in this psalm. I think what it comes down to lament, though, is what are we lamenting about? You know, um, are we lamenting? our own issues? Are we, are we lamenting our, our spiritual issues? Um, here's, we talked about lament and, and minor things. I mean, yes, we live in Edmond, Oklahoma, uh, in the United States of America. Um, I'll give you guys a story. Um, I was getting a basketball hoop, um, put in for our son for Christmas and the guy that was doing it hit my main water line, cracked the pipe, water spat out everywhere. And so they try to makeshift it. And I was still leaking and it was still leaking and it was just wearing on me that this pipe was leaking. Like, you know, is it going to bust? It's cold outside. Um, what are we going to do? You know, I'm just in my mind thinking worst things possible. And I blow up at my family, blow up on my kids and my wife. You know, I'm like, they're complaining about 
putting tomatoes in their taco salad. And I'm like, there's other things to worry about here. You know, I'm like, I've got this pipe, blah, 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 blah. And my wife's like, why don't you go take a step back? And so I went out and I lamented. Did I lament about that pipe? No, I lamented of me as a father and as a man and as, a, as the, uh, the um, spiritual leader of my household, how I lost my faith and letting God handle this and took it out on them. I lamented that fact. I didn't lament the pipe. But once I lamented that fact, the pipe was nothing. <laughs> You know, the pipe was nothing. And so I, how are we lamenting? Are we lamenting about the pipe or are we lamenting about how we, how we're acting in Christ's image? Well, I think, I think that's a good point, Ryan. It does beg the question for me though, because I, I kind of keyed in on something that you were saying there, Russell. And it's like, okay, we need to take these things to God. <clears throat> so what does that mean? And so, cause, cause I'll say, I'll speak for me. I won't speak for you guys, but I am curious. There are things that seem so trivial to me that are bothersome that they're very bothersome. And I'm like, I'm not going to bother God with that one. Like, but it's like, no, 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 bring your burdens to me. Like, you know, I, I can carry this mm-hmm. weight for you, but I'm like, no, I'm, I, it's almost, I treat it like I've got one meeting a week with my manager and it's like, I don't <laughs> want to talk about the scent of the soap in the bathroom that slightly bothers me when I wash my hands. Like I want to talk about things that are going to lead to me getting promoted and getting paid more money. Like those, those types of things. So I guess whenever you say, take these things to God, let, let's get down to like brass tacks there. Like, what does that mean? Cause I think that directly correlates to lament. Yeah. Um, obviously I think there's some discernment in how you come to the Lord in your praying and in just in your speaking to them, right? I mean, um, for me personally, um, prayer looks different. I mean, there are different aspects of the way I pray. I mean, I may actually be praying in petition on someone's behalf, right? For my family or for some friends or for missionaries or whatever that may be. Um, then I may be in for supplication, right? Praying for myself, praying for some specific things, whether they're um, you know, work-related, maybe, maybe there are um, some stress-related things dealing with my family, et cetera. But then there are also those things that are just nuances of life that, that I think are immoral. And I don't know that I necessarily need to be asking for God's provision in those, but I can talk to him in a conversation about like what is going on in my life, right? And those things will come up. But so when I say take them to them, I think it's more in a conversation as opposed to a please change the scent in the bathroom. Like, you know, it's like, man, today was rough and I blew up my family and I did this and this and man, that's stupid soap. That's got me angry too, Lord. Like just, I mean, I, I think that's the conversation that I, I want to do with the Lord. Right. And, um, and I know for me and I'm, I'm a talk out loud, think out loud kind of person, um, which sometimes makes me sound really dumb, but, um, <laughs> that's just how it goes. Yeah. And so, um, I do that and I do it with God too. Um, and my kids have caught me on more than one occasion. Who are you talking to? I'm like, I'm just kind of talking to myself or talking to God. That's like, crazy. Like <laughs> just, yeah, I'm talking to myself or I'm, you know, a lot of times it's me talking to myself, which ultimately is, is me talking to the Lord. But, um, that's what I mean by that. Um, I think you do have to have discernment in when you're asking the Lord for something, because you can go down a really slippery slope of like, Oh, well, Lord will help me with this and help me with that. And, and he's going to provide, I think you have to have discernment on, is this making me more Christ-like or not? And if it's not, that's probably conversational. That's probably not a request. Well, I have a conversational prayer to God right now that, hey, Lord, you bless me with one forging table, but if you keep Chuck Norrising the table while you're talking, I'm going to have to replace <laughs> it. Down for a while. Like, come uh, on, man. Like, you're just, back. just hit it with your elbows from now on. We can get after it. No, but like the point is well taken because, okay, 
Have y'all heard about people that have conversational prayers with God, yes. like throughout yeah. the day? Mm-hmm. Like not like it. Okay, th- that to me, I don't want to get too far off of Psalm twenty-two. So, so keep me accountable. That's weird to me. Like I know people that are like all day they're in kind of this constant, you know, back and forth, like tweeting, texting relationship with God, mm-hmm. and like every decision throughout the day. Like, do I go to this place for lunch or that place for lunch? Or should I go work out right now? Should I have this conversation? I'm serious. Like it's, it's just constant throughout the day, as opposed to like, for me, I feel like most of my prayers are really, really thankful. I'm like, God, this is such a cool opportunity or God, like it makes no sense that, that this should happen for me. Like, thank you so much for that. Like, does that strike y'all as odd? Because for me, it's like, I don't think that there's a problem with it, obviously, but it's like, (laughs) it's weird for me. It's weird. If I'm like, when I'm, I do a lot of driving for my job. Um, so I'm on the road a lot. So if I'm not listening to Undaunted uh, Life's podcast, um, I sometimes plug, turn plug. plug. Is it a plug if it's on the podcast that people are already listening to? But I'm not listening to myself on the forging like, table. God, here you go. Uh, no, but um, when it when I when I'm not done listening to something, I'll turn the I'll turn the radio down and I'll just talk to God. You know, I'm mostly out of praise. Um, Praising him for the opportunities afforded me, praising him with the family that he's giving me, lamenting certain facts, um, trying to figure out, you know, if I'm dealing with something, you know, kind of like just dwell on him. So I, I think that in a conversational aspect with God makes sense. Now, I don't, when I'm driving down the road, be like, Lord, should I go to Hardee's or McDonald's? You know, don't really, don't really view it that way. Um, so I just find that that part strange if you're going to ask him like every decision that you make, but there's been some tough decisions I've had to make and I've gone into prayer for that, but not for what I was going to Well, eat. if those are your only two restaurant options, you probably have some more lament that when you need to get <laughs> when out. When you're in so. Kansas on the turnpike, all you've got is Hardee's and McDonald's. <laughs> that's rough. That, that's Better rough. Start. Hey, we're Westerners. The yeah. 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 Got to get after it on your own. Yeah. Well, I guess like, so through the lens of you're like the, the resident, you know, new Christians act. So like, I guess, what has your relationship with prayer been like in the last few years? Because it's like, I mean, you don't really need to do a lot of praying before you become a Christian, or at least you don't think so, because you kind of have this, you know, country music theology where it's like, I'm going to talk to the man upstairs and I'm going to just thank him every now and then and blah, blah. And like, that's kind of how we do it here in Oklahoma uh, before you actually accept Christ. But like your thoughts on prayer, how's that shifted and changed? I'll say that uh, before I was a Christian, you know, anything that's going on in your head that you're talking about to yourself or going through different big problems, you're essentially praying. You just don't know uh, who you're talking to or why you're talking to them, but you're going through uh, a situation or a problem and trying to figure it out and uh, come to a conclusion. You're really um, consulting something. So you must be talking to the Lord. Now that I've become um, a believer, um, it has been absolutely crucial and paramount in my lifestyle daily to stay in conversation with the Lord as much as possible. I'm not asking him where I'm going to lunch or any of that little roller coaster all day long. Cause, um, I'm not sure if that's how the Lord intended it, but, uh, as Kyle knows, and maybe you guys know that I was in general contracting for myself. So I was outside building, uh, fences, cutting down trees and I would always be outside. So I just, we got in this, um, habit of every time I saw the sun, Every time the sun shined on me or I looked at the sun, I would talk to the Lord and be thankful. You're just so, when you live in appreciation with so much love in your heart, you don't have time for hate. So I just found it very easy to always turn to, to the Lord in most situations throughout my day, depending on what it is and whatever situation I'm in, to be able to get into prayer because of living with appreciation. 
And there's no problem, obviously, with having dedicated prayer time. Like there are people that are very, very regimented. They're, uh, you know, they have trait conscientiousness. And so it's like every morning at 545, that's when I start my uh, my quiet time, my Bible study, and I will read this much. And then I will move into prayer time and I will pray in this way. And then there are people that are a little bit higher in, you know, trait openness. And so they're a little bit more creative and they're going to kind of flow. And that may be the person that's kind of doing it throughout the day. But again, if you can convene with the almighty, which we can, like, it's probably something that you should do because it's going to help you as you, as you kind of move forward. Um, again, the, the first two thirds or so of Psalm 22, there's, there's a lot of lament, but a lot of references, uh, that cross reference with Matthew 27. So verse one, uh, you get that in Matthew 27, 46, verse seven, Matthew 27, 39, verse eight, Matthew 27, 43. But Something caught me, and, and guys, if, if I skipped over something you, you wanted to hit, like we can obviously go back, but there was something that caught me in verse 10, and I guess there's subtlety, okay? So, the, so there's subtlety in what's happening uh, in the Bible, and when you talk about, so we, we mentioned uh, last week's episode, uh, red letter Christianity, right? So there are people that like, you know, they value the red letters above the black letters because that's the words of Jesus when it's like, look, dude, they made those letters red so that it'd be easier for you to reference when Jesus was talking. Because if someone's just referencing a scripture and it's right in the middle of a parable, the red letters just kind of help you. But if you believe in a Trinitarian view, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, all the words are red letters because Jesus is part of the Godhead, right? But verse 10 is, On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. So I've used a lot of different references and a lot of different biblical references as to why we shouldn't murder babies in the womb. I've never thought about Psalm 22:10, but that's a subtlety there that what's going on in the womb has importance. And not just for the propagation of the species, but just in general, because what's happening there is seen by God and is directed by God. And it, it happened even before that moment, even before you were a you, right? And so I, I think that's something for me. And, and I think you said this last week, Russell, where it's like, you, you may have said it a little bit earlier today, but it's like you've got when you start reading the Bible more and you're reading, you're reading bigger chunks of the entire thing, you will see a lot of these corollaries like connecting to one another. And it just helps you with a worldview, with morality. I mean, last week we spent a lot of time on politics, so we don't really need to beat a dead horse this week with it. But the, the political nature, you're always legislating your morality. But if you don't know where your morality comes from, you can easily be toppled over. But that just stuck out to me. Verse 10 is like, yeah, you know, from the womb and, you know, when you have kids, like it's like, no, it was important not now that they're five years old and going into kindergarten. It was important since before the time you met them. Right. I feel like that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that is at Jesus's birth, at that moment is when he became the begotten son. Because in the beginning, the, the word was with God and um, maybe the word was uh, actually the begotten son before he was born at that moment then that's a, a moment in time is when uh, Jesus was, became the begotten son. And I think it was referenced in a uh, commentary that I listened to for Psalm 2 a while back. But um, yeah, this, uh, from verses 9 and 10, yeah. The, um, so Spurgeon said, I was reading over a little bit of his commentary, and uh, he said that the, the child that was fighting his greatest battle of his life uses the mercies of his nativity as the argument with God. Faith finds weapons everywhere. Uh, even, 
or uh, he who wills to believe shall never lack reasons of believing. And I just uh, love that quote that if you are a believer, you'll never lack a reason to believe. You bring up Spurgeon, which you get kudos from me. Um, I, I saw some election in there. What do you guys say? Oh, you're the guy that sees election no matter what you read, even if you're reading a menu at a restaurant. Go ahead and make your point as opposed to trying to lay a snare for the rest of us. Lay a snare. I didn't see abortion in there, but I see your point in that. Um, no, I just, I see that you are my God, even in my mother's womb, or even in my mother's womb, you are my God. Uh, that means God chose him from the beginning. So I see election in that. Are we really going to do this election argument again? We've done this like seven times already, and this is like just a new point, version of the show. I'm just pointing out my, what I All saw. Right. You man. know what? We, we haven't heard uh, Russell or Zach talk about election, yeah. so here we go. I'll just put the mic away so you guys can argue about it. Go ahead. Election. Pass. Pass. <laughs> we got one pass. It's all on you, Russell. Man, um, it, it's tough for me because I, I think it's, um, it's probably something post, uh, you know, Jesus' you know, coming, second coming or my death. That I fully understand uh, free will and you know election, um, but you know I I, I believe uh, that the Bible speaks very clearly about chosen people. I mean, obviously the Israelites were a chosen people, and the New Testament speaks to chosen, and, and obviously this verse speaks to chosen, some election, and so um, you know I do know that God has it all foreknown in His knowledge. I don't know what that looks like, but I also know that as an individual. You know, I self-discovered, you know, I had to self-discover, you know, and upon his opening my eyes, um, the truth of the scriptures. And so um, I can't reconcile either of them, to be honest with you. Um, You know, I'm on the fence and I'll stay on the fence probably till the day I die. But all that said, um, I think what this shows is just God's handiwork in the, all of history, right? So before and after. Um, Guys, if you're wondering, after. if you're not watching this on YouTube, he is still banging on the table. <laughs> he just can't, he got he loves election and debating so no, much. No. He's just you remember the power team? We we know a guy yeah, that was John on the power Jacobs. team, right? So you're like breaking <laughs> deals of glass or what? Have you ever thought about joining the power I'm, team? I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a funny story to, to this. Effect. This is great. Yeah, he might be on the power so, team. Okay. So I think in college you have to do like a communications class, right? Okay. So you have to give a speech in front of everybody. I'm terrible at public speaking. I don't know why you have me on this thing, but in public speaking, especially, um, and I talk with my hands, which is why I'm banging the table. I'm trying to, I'm literally trying to sit on my hands over here, people. <laughs> but so the thing I did then standing in front of people instead of sitting was I would always like pull my sleeves up and no joke for the first like couple, I had a long sleeve shirt and I would pull my sleeves up and up and, you know, keep screwing with them. The last time, the professor asked me to wear a short sleeve shirt so I wouldn't do that. And I still figuratively tried to pull my sleeves up. I'm telling you, man, I'm, you can't break me. I'm like your a, habit. A, your old, habit. old dog can't, you can't teach me new tricks. Well, man. Zach, Spit your you chair got back new, to the wall. Yeah. Zach, you got a new job. Like you're, <laughs> so, you're just going to like slide your hand each time you yeah. feel like he's about to do it. You just slide it. And like, you're the buffer in between. Well, the funny thing about that is if anybody's been in sales in this audience, you've Gosh. probably done some, you know, uh, talking about and thinking about like nonverbals, yeah. like typically when people do self touching, which is like where they run, they're not itching. Their forearms not itching, but they just keep scratching their forearm. You can tell they're uncomfortable with, with what they're about to say and different things. 
things like that. It's just kind of like, kind of like a little nervous tick thing, but um, to, to go back around yes, to the grenade that you dropped in the middle of the table, Ryan, have we sufficiently talked about election or do we need to waste the, the next 45 minutes? No, talking I, I think more we're about good. It? I was just, are you sure? I just, are you I satisfied? Just, I saw that and it just made me think of that. But really when I look at the verse, I really see about how, you know, God is, God is the provider and we're just the babies that need the, the provision that a baby needs from its mother. Um, so um, I wouldn't, I don't want to get too deep into that because um, those nuanced people might take that uh, into the um, same realm as uh, our old friend from the past. But uh, yeah, but no, I, I think what it, what he's basically saying is we're, we're babies in regards to where we're at and we need nourishment and God is that nourishment. When again, for him, Again, he spends the first 20 or so verses like almost like trying to come up with different ways of describing just how wrecked he feels. Yeah, right. But for, for my money, verses 14 and 15, that's where I was like, all right, this dude is wrung completely out. So 14 and 15, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. What the heck is that? Uh, And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Like, I've been sad before. Like, I've been downright, you know, downtrodden. You know, I've been melancholy. I've never felt like my tongue sticked, like stuck to my jaw and that I was laying in the dust of death. I've never been there. And so part of it could be like, all right, David, we get it. You're belaboring this point. But it's like, again, he's pointing to something because there's a big shift coming in verse 22 where he's going to be shifting into praise gear. But man, 14 and 15, really for me, I was just like, because, you know, I'm kind of pulling out the, you know, the crucifixion language and all the different things that were happening on the cross. But that for me, like that was probably the roughest part of of any of these Psalms that we've, we've gone to right now. That was like a laments lament. Yeah, he tries to just belabor it where it's kind of starting to uh, relate to Job's story where everything is going wrong and he still stays faithful. And uh, David here, <laughs> yeah, he's just trying to basically uh, feel like make, uh, make the reader understand that this is by far the worst time of his life. Well, I think it's something to look at too is, you know, the foreshadowing of Christ and what's happening before the crucifixion. I mean, can you imagine what Christ is going through at this time when he's being beaten? Uh, thorns put on his head, you know, um, he's thirsty. They give him vinegar. Um, you know, dogs encompass him. Evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet and I count all my bones. It's just the foreshadowing of what he's about to take on that David is feeling, you know, the lamenting to God that he feels like he's gone through and, and, um, you know, seeing what God's going to do in the end you know, with the praises. So, Obviously, this goes back to what you were talking about earlier, Russell, with, you know, you're, you're taking your problems to God, whatever that means to you, and however you, you try to do that in prayer and different things like that. I didn't really think about this until now, and it seems obvious now that I've kind of, you know, turned it over my head a couple of times. It's like, okay, God was forcing David to go through this so that he would say this, so that it would be written down, and so that hundreds and hundreds of years later, a rabbi in in the Middle East would, would say these same words and it would connect for everybody. This is one of those times when you talk to like Orthodox Jews or or people like that. And it's just like, where do you see the disconnect? 
because there are so many prophecies that are fulfilled in the person of Jesus to an extreme degree, so much to boggle mathematical minds, right? right. But just because of the sheer odds of him being able to, to take care of, of a lot of these boxes and check them. But I guess that's for me where I try not to be so grandiose if I'm suffering or if I'm going through a hard time, but it's like, what is God trying to get me to understand? But also it may not even be from my understanding. I may just need to go through this and talk about it and, and tell people about it, maybe record a podcast about it or write it down or something like that, because the lesson's not for me. Right. Think about this. I mean, hundreds, centuries and centuries and centuries go by before like literally the, the, the spark that ignited this whole thing turned into an absolute, you know, fire that consumed the entire planet. And so I guess that's, I don't know if that's comforting or scary that it's like, Hey, you're not maybe going well, to go ahead. Go ahead. It's, uh, it's comforting for sure, because you're understanding that. Uh, it's all in God's timing. You know, whatever you're going through in a moment um, could be the Lord working it through you for next week or somebody else who's in your direct path and however the Lord's using you. But um, now, yeah, we look back and see that, you know, Jesus teed this up for himself. He put it in to David to have these words written down, to have this in the Psalm uh, a thousand years before Christ would even be born. And then on his deathbed, essentially, you know, on the cross, he uses this. He's meditating on scripture on the cross. It was so beautiful for me to read that and to understand that. To When I'm reading through that, uh, these verses, it was, I was thinking about Christ and on the cross and not David and whatever he thinks he's going through. Because like what we just said, it was God using this in David's time to directly affect what happened on the cross and how profound that must be to um, Israelites at the time who are not believing in Christ and his ministry, but to have all these references to the Old Testament from hundreds or thousands of years before should be profound to you that you can understand, oh yeah, he's quoting David and that was written so long ago. You know, how does he know all this? You know, Jesus would have had to have every Old Testament book written out and in his back pocket to fulfill all these hundreds of prophecies throughout his, um, throughout his ministry that it just, it blows my mind. And you're trying to explain it to non-believers all the time in our day. You know, they're like, oh, well, you know, how did Jesus know this? I'm like, yeah, you're either saying that Jesus was the smartest guy that's ever lived and he put together the greatest manuscript of lies, or you start to understand that it's all prophetic and that, uh, he must have put out all this content through other prophets throughout history and lived it out. You know, it's just, uh, it was beautiful for me to read through these, uh, this scripture and to put all that together. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the whole of Psalm 22 is, is, uh, beautiful in the sense that, I mean, just what it represents a thousand years later. And so, you know, I mean, Jesus would have known the scriptures verbatim we've had a lot of it memorized right so you know obviously the pain that he experienced on the cross you know in crying out to god i think is profound but then what's even more profound for me in these things is right they wag their heads at him they divide his garments these are roman soldiers who were doing this right i mean you know roman and jewish you know people who and then the crucifixion itself crucifixion didn't exist in david's time it, it was not a thing so piercing their hands and their feet why would he have said that? And then I actually, one of the commentaries was saying that, that he was actually saying that in the, in the sense of the dogs, because when the dogs bite you, they're piercing, piercing you, right? Yeah. And so he's speaking of it from a whole different context, but it's 
so prophetic in its nature. Mm. And, and that just, you know, blows my mind to be thinking about how those minute details, Christ, and, and, and I think for those who are, you know, maybe in your audience who are not, don't know Jesus as their savior are looking at this and thinking, man, is, is the Bible real? I mean, here, here it is. I mean, this is as real as it gets. Um, and it's so profound for me. And, and again, I think what we were talking about, one of the commentaries said this, and I just think it's so true. It says, no known incident in the life of David fits the details of the Psalm. David used many pro- poetic expressions to portray his immense sufferings, but these poetic words became literally true of the suffering of Jesus at his enemy's hands. Um, and I just think that's so good. I mean, you, you said it right, Kyle, is, you know, he was, you know, belaboring this point of, man, this is so rough. I'm in such a rough spot. But he's inspired by the Spirit to speak it in such a way that it exactly um, is fulfilled by Christ. When, so you're talking about verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Uh, and then, you know, I can count on my bones, you know, Ryan, what you were talking about. But yeah, to us, you know, 2,000 years after Christ, we hear pierce my hands and feet. All you think about is the crucifixion. Right. That's all you think about. But yeah, I didn't even think about that, Russell. Like that had to have been perplexing to the people that were reading this in David's day. That's like, did David just make this up? Like this, you weren't attacked by dogs, bro. You killed a bear and a lion, like with your, with your bare hands. Like what, what, what are you worried about a dog for? Like some wild dogs. And so that, that's an important thing. It's like, it's there for a reason but you don't always kind of know the reason. I know we're going to be going over a Psalm uh, here probably next week where we'll get more into that. But again, as I alluded to earlier, there's that big shift in verse 22. So you you can maybe read into this or not. Two thirds of this Psalm are lament and then one third is praise. Starts with lament, ends with praise. Now, when people say things like praise while you're in the storm, for a guy like me, just to be honest, I'm very pessimistic. Um, the sky's typically always falling and it works for me because it's always like have low expectations and then always be shocked by the level of excitement you'll experience. You know what I mean? As opposed to having these super high expectations and then you're letting yourself down all the time. But again, that's just kind of how I'm wired and that's how I operate and that's how I've been you know, competitive and that's how you know, I've just kind of gone. The praise in the storm thing is really hard for me because when I get mad or if I'm really struggling with something, it's almost, it's like the last thing I want to do. And, and this came up even here recently, um, you know, with my wife and I, there, there are times where it's like when I'm about to go do some Bible study time where that's like, put the phone away, turn all the notifications off. Like when I'm about to do that, or when I'm in the middle of that, we almost always fight. There's always something. And it's a nothing fight to be, to be clear. It's a fight about nothing, but we're mad. And I'm sitting there trying to read the Psalm and I'm just like, I just, she just doesn't get it. Like I obviously said the right thing. And again, it's just like, it's just a little contagion that's just been put into my bloodstream and now it's just moving all the way through. And so I can't read this in, in any type of posture where I can accept it because I'm mad. And it's like Satan's all over those types of things. And so he's, it's almost like he's keeping me from shifting from lament or in a less cool word, anger, or just being a stupid ginger to into the praise part to where it's like, but here's all these great things that are happening. So I don't know about you, normal, well-adjusted people at the table, but for me like that, that's rough, you know, to praise in the storm because I'm so worried about the storm whenever I'm in it. It's hard for me to praise. Well, everybody feels like praise is something that you do after something good has happened. So to praise in the storm is to 
skip the storm and to say that everything's already worked out and, you know, it's going to be uh, good at the end of the movie, no matter what. So to praise in the storm takes a lot of uh, interpersonal reflection to be able to just switch gears while you're in the storm and say, all right, I either need to look in the mirror, I need to pull the log out of my eye first, or um, look at it from a different perspective. Because if you just let your keep going, let yourself keep going, and you blow up at your wife, or uh, you act out irrationally, that's you know when Satan was offering Jesus all the lands of the world if he would just believe in him. You know that's Satan coming into your life in that moment, and if you blow up and you do those things then that's you accepting all the lands from Satan, you know, in a a different kind of way. So um, I'll just always, every situation in my life, I constantly am telling myself, look in the mirror, look in the mirror, Zach, because it's got to be me first. I got to get out of my own way. I think it just comes down to storms. I don't think I've had storms in my life that have been kind of, you know, so crazy that I need to find praise in it. But I, I think back to an interview you had with Tim Challies, um, and the storm that he went through and the loss of his son and how he still praised and they still worship God. And I hope to never find a storm like that. But if I do have a storm like that, I hope I have the same resolve. That was the thing with my interview with Tim Challies, and it was season of sorrow. I think was the name of the book. If, if I recall, so his son died suddenly, just collapsed, um, died. Um, and he basically journaled for the first year of mourning the loss of his son. I mean, I'm sitting there, like I read it right over there. I usually sit right there on the floor and, and read, read my books. And at the time I was reading that book, James was, he was two or was about to turn two. And we had a newborn, Elijah, two sons. And I'm just like, I mean, I'm just in a puddle for most of the, the first part of that book. Cause that's like, you know, right after the death and then he starts getting used to the new normal. Like he'll never be fully healed from that really in terms of this earth, but you know, kind of his new normal. And you put yourself into his story. Cause that's what we do. You know, whenever we're reading fiction or reading anything like that, like we put ourselves in the story, what would we do and what, how would we react in those types of things? And I was just astonished at his level of faith in that, man, this sucks, but it's going to be okay because he got to meet the father before I did. And I, that's cool, right. but I'm going to get to meet him too. And it's like, again, when you're a negative person, you don't quite understand how something like that's possible. Like I still, to this day, can't understand the people. I forget the name of the church, but Dylan Roof, uh, a white supremacist, walked into a black church. This was years ago and kills a bunch of people because he hated black people. That's why he did it. Okay, anyone that says anything different, they're stupid and they're wrong. He walked in there because he knew, and he sat in the pews first in an all-black church, knowing what he was going to do, and he was welcomed, and he was, you know, he was embraced and all that, and then he opened fire and killed a bunch of them. 24 hours later, they are, because you can see the video of this, go, go look it up on YouTube, but one by one, the members of this church, the surviving members of this church who had their husbands, wives, daughters, grandkids slain by Dylan Roof, one by one came to him because there was like a, a camera where, you know, they could, you know, talk to this guy. And they all said, we love you. We forgive you. We hope you turn to Christ. Like he's the only thing that can save you. They're pleading with this murderer that murdered their family members. Please come to Christ. And I'm just like, I'm going to be real honest, guys. Like 
you know, maybe you, you listen to my words more than you listen to other people in your life. I am not capable of that unless something happened to me in that moment where, you know, Jesus took the wheel, Jesus took the words from my mouth and put his words there. Like, and again, I don't know about for you guys, but you know, even here in this area, there was a, a former coach for the thunder whose wife was killed in a kind of a inebriated drunk driving type situation. And at her funeral, not only did he get up and address everybody, not only did he show tremendous poise, um, and he said, Hey, all of you here are praying for me and my family. Y'all need to pray for their family too. Cause their family lost a daughter as well. They lost an aunt, they lost whatever. And I'm just like, man, I suck compared to these guys. Like their level, like Tim Challies and I forget the coach's name. Sorry, but I'd, I'd like to give him credit. But like, man, I don't know if it's different for you guys, but when I see those things, it's like that, that's really a gut check. Like, do I have that in me? It is. It's a gut check. Cause I'm a vindictive person. Um, I think that's something I struggle with. You were elected to be that way, right? You were predestined, predestined to be predestined. that. But yeah. It was, it was predestined to be a sin that I have to fight. There you go. And I have to, I have to rely on God on, um, but I, I feel him changing my heart on a lot of things. Um, I don't hold that vindictive status towards uh, certain things. There are probably some things more than others. I mean, when it comes down to like just poor teaching or, or bad theology, but um, it, it's something hard. I mean, I don't know what I would do if my daughter was taken from me or if my wife was taken from me or my sons were taken from me. And I would just hope that Christ dwells in me that I put all of my faith and hope in the future in him to have what those people, to do what those people did because what they did is, is beautiful. And it's such a great picture of God um, that, you know, I don't have words to describe other than that it's beautiful. Yeah. It's really easy to say, how is God working in this situation? You know, what is God trying to get me to see through this, through the death of a family member, through the loss of a friend, through, um, like you were saying with the, with the church and the shooting, it's just, how did that congregation come together in such quickness, um, and be able to understand like, how is God using this? And it's to maybe that that guy, the shooter needs to come to Christ. Uh, that's incredibly hard to understand for me, but, um, yeah, that's one thing that I'll always try to ask myself, like, what is God working in this situation? And luckily I haven't been, uh, directly affected with that type of situation yeah but we all got to be ready for in life you know life is very short and things can happen and how are you going to react are you going to be steadfast are you going to go to the lord or i mean i know um so kind of a, an aside a little bit to that not, not nearly to that extent but um you know something that you know uh, an older gentleman who kind of poisoned my life had me start doing a long time ago um, that I do off and on now that really is helpful is, is to write down your prayer requests. You know, those, those prayer requests that, that, you know, you can see answered um, and then write a date when they were answered, write You know what the answer was and a date and just doing that over time. Um, you see the faithfulness of God, right? Like numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he not spoken? And will he not make it good? Right. So there's this, this faithfulness of God, but I think we have such a recency bias. Like my children yesterday was yesterday. And it was also five weeks ago too. Like, like yesterday <laughs> is yesterday. I mean, it's just, there's this, this stupid, and they only remember like five minutes ago. And, and I think candidly we're the same way. And so, you know, we just, when we're in a storm, we don't remember what God already did in our life. Right. I mean, the faithfulness of like, I mean, um, you know, a healthy child, the faithfulness of, you know, 
our wives, the faithfulness of, you know, the things that we've been blessed with, right? And so um, doing that, right, I think practically is something that we can do as believers. And then um, something that, you know, I'm a realistic pragmatist probably um, in most of mine. And Kyle, like you, I like to set low expectations and, and exceed them. <laughs> right. Um, but then when I get down in the dumps, man, it's hard to get out of the dumps because if you set low expectations and you're in the dumps, you are really screwed. Um, and so I, uh, you know, just like a little thankful journal, right? So like every night trying to write one thing you're thankful for and it becomes so much easier to kind of realize, man, there's so many things I can be thankful for, right? And so I think sometimes it's, it's, there's just, uh, you know, being practical about it helps us. Now, when you're in a storm of losing a, losing a child or, um, you know, someone murders a family member or whatever, those are exceptional seasons that I think really God is just stepping into. Um, but if you are, you know, your faith is being based on what you've seen over the last, you know, decade of your life or whatever, I think it can help you. Well, there's a, a Christian apologetic through line to a lot of this as well. So even Zach, kind of what you were talking about. <clears throat> so it sounds really curt to say it, but it's like those people in that church were murdered, maybe so that Dylan Roof and others would come to Christ. And I don't know this to be the case. How many people watched the video of those family members talking to Dylan Roof and they were like, oh, that's what Christianity is. Right. It's not hating gay people. It's not telling me I'm not allowed to drink or dance in public. Like that's that's the gospel. Holy crap, that's the gospel. Like, and for the first time ever, the gospel suddenly makes sense. Because so when people, you know, use use the thing, they're like, oh, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Of yet the apologetic where you can get into, okay, what do you mean by bad? What do you mean by good? And you can kind of like go through the moral law argument. But here's the deal is like, and you've seen people do this before where they draw a circle and they ask someone, hey, what is your knowledge of all the knowledge? What is your understanding of all the things that can be known in the universe? Like put a percentage on it. Like you of all the knowledge in the universe, how much of it do you have? And if they're honest, it's way less than 1%, right? So if you look at it in terms of a pie chart, you got this little bitty sliver of the stuff that you know and understand, and then there's everything else. And so it's like, is it possible that the rape and murder of that young girl, that there is a positive that could come out of such a horrifically terrible story for everyone involved? their family members, the person that did it. And I, I go back to whenever I visited uh, Lewisburg prison and I'm sitting there interacting with, shaking hands with rapists, kidnappers, bank robbers, murderers. I know one guy for certain had killed four people. And here I am just sitting there chatting, having a conversation. Well, he wasn't a Christian whenever he took those lives and he's going to pay for what he did to those people for the rest of his life here on this planet because he's never going to see the outside of that prison. But he's in Christ's hands now and his name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, and he was able to redeem that situation. So again, that may be a hard thing for the families of the four slain people that, that he killed, but it's like, that's, the, that's the gospel there, and I think that's the thing that a lot of us miss. It's kind of the, the thing that I said before. As you're reading the Bible, regardless of what you're reading, it's telling the same story. It all points to the gospel of Jesus Christ, every last bit of it. Even if it doesn't seem like it, because here you are quoting numbers. It's like, I don't know a whole lot of people quoting numbers, you know, walking around the, the book of numbers, that is, for, for guys that aren't really paying attention. Now, before we wrap up here, again, the last 10 verses or so, uh, you know, from verse 22 all the way through the end of verse 31, it's all the, the praise portions. Was there something in particular that, that stood out for you guys in that, that, that portion in terms of, you know, turning lament into praise? I just didn't want to sell anybody short on any of that because we, we covered it kind of, you know, 30,000 foot view. I just like the mirroring of the gospel and in this and that, you know, through the lament that Christ went through, um, the lament that we go through, 
um, lamenting, you know, our, our earthly problems compared to what, what Christ did for us. Um, I think it, I just like how it mirrors that there's praise in the end with Christ. You're going to find, um, you're going to find redemption. Um, I, I'd like to go back, you know, Psalms two towards the end there, you know, ki- uh, that we talked about last week, you know, kiss, kiss the sun. And, and that's what we need to do. We need to submit to the sun and, and seeing, um, just kind of the correlation between this and, and Matthew just kind of showed the, the, the beautifulness of the gospel. Yeah. I think, um, you know, verse 27, 28, you know, it says all the ends of the earth. This is, I'm reading from the NASB, um, by the way, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will worship before you for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Um, and, and just the extent of God's reign. I mean, it is in totality. I mean, it is everything right. And I think, you know, we're here in, you know, small town, Oklahoma, not that small, but you know, small town, Oklahoma, right. Um, just a dot on this faith of this planet, you know, and, and it wasn't that long ago that um, our church gave a missions update and it was amazing to me. There's 3 billion people who are unreached, right. And just think about that. I mean, that is, you know, like 40% of the population of this earth, right. Um, don't have either, um, any translate Bible translated or even a Christian or a church in their vicinity. And so, um, just thinking about that and being thankful that, you know, God's mission is to cover all of it, to cover everyone. And he covered everyone on the cross and he wants to reach everyone. And so, um, this is just beautiful. And, and I hope that, um, you know, people understand, you know, Christ, um, what he did on the cross for everyone. What about you, Zach? Um, yeah, just the totality of what Christ did for us on the cross and what that offers is the fact that there's only hope and faith and um, freedom are only offered through Christ. Um, And that's uh, what I take away from Christ's work on the cross is the only way to experience uh, freedom in this life. And I think in verse 26, that's the one that stood out for me. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. The afflicted. And so those are the people that are going through the storm. So the afflicted, those who have lost their sons suddenly, those who have had a member of their family that was raped, those who have had, you know, something that has physically befallen them, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. But it's the next part that's the key. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Again, you know, Psalm 3410, uh, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Again, young lions can take care of themselves in every way, shape, and form, but they will suffer want and hunger at some point. But it's only those that seek after the Lord that are seeking things that are in their totality good. And so I think uh, a great thing about Psalm 22 is to understand that there's not a lament that is unknown to God, and there's not a lament that is technically unique to you. I mean, you're the only person like you that's ever been created. But what is befalling you has befallen people before. People from the line, you know, that produced the the line of David that that produced the savior of the planet. But also anything that could go wrong. Go to Job. I mean, we've had some rough parts of our lives, guys, some rough parts of our marriage, some rough parts in business. We've never been Jobed 
The dude right. became a verb. Like that's like, that's how rough his life was. Right. And so I think that's a great thing for all of us to remember. And there's more to talk about here, but we're going to go ahead and leave it there, but come back next Sunday guys, where we will dig into Psalm 30. And that is going to be the last Psalm we dig into. And then we'll get into the next one from there, but guys, make sure you read Psalm 30 and come back and be prepared for next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at undaunted life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So this is a weekly reminder guys that we are a donation-based ministry so if you're wondering how we're able to pull off the stuff we pull off you know doing the forging table doing any things that we do it's because we have donors that are parting ways with their hardened hard-earned dollars to help us with our mission to equip men around the globe to push back darkness so if you go to undaunted.life backslash donate or just go to the link here in the show notes you can hop on board and be one of those guys as well Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah